That was a blessing, wasn't it? For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you would, please take your Bibles with, with me and turn to the Gospel of the Psalms. <laughs> Psalm 144 we'll be looking at this morning. And look there with me in verse 15. The last verse there of Psalm 144. It says, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord, God, our Savior. Uh, for our, our Sunday class, we were looking at the book of Acts and uh, we were just uh, rejoicing with our our brethren there mentioned there in Acts chapter 13. I thought I'd just read this portion just briefly. Acts chapter 13. It says there in verse 37, and remember that the, uh, the, uh, the early church, when they would greet each other, you know, instead of saying good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, they would say, uh, he's risen. <laughs> That's how they would greet each other. He is risen. And in verse 37, this is what we see here. In effect, this verse is declaring, the Lord Jesus Christ, God raised again. He's risen from the grave. It says, but he whom God raised again, that, that he, you can put a capital H on that. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, God's well-pleasing son. God raised him again. He saw no corruption. In verse 38, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And then he says there in verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, when they heard the gospel of Christ and Him crucified, when they heard the gospel of all their sins being forgiven them through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, being made the very righteousness of God in Him, it says, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. That is, they believed Christ. They believed the gospel. And this morning, we see this other word that's, very, very much the same, this, this word happy. <laughs> it's true. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Ha yea, happy is, is that people whose God is the Lord God, our Savior. We read in uh, Psalm 146, verse 5, Happy is he, happy is that sinner that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy, blessed is that sinner that has the God of Jacob for his help. His hope as all his salvation. Now, the word happy can also be rendered uh, blessed. And truly, God's covenant people are blessed in Christ Jesus the Lord. Uh, we read this also in our study. Go back there again. And it, it doesn't uh, it's not bother to repeat these things over and over again. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, God's people, blessed of God, they're happy, they're blessed and content in Christ Jesus, the Lord and God. 
Now, much of this psalm is repeated from what is said in Second Samuel, uh, chapter twenty-two, and when David had been given the victory over the many en- enemies of Israel, he sat down, and the Lord gave him these words of worship, praise, and adoration unto God. And he was always ready; he was always at the ready and willing, willing at the quick to give God all the honor and glory for any victory he'd won. And we can ask David, who gets the credit, David? He would say, not me, not me, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy true sake. I mean, David knew it. It was God who had blessed him with the victory. And such is the case of every sinner redeemed by the blood of Christ and saved by his sovereign grace. Beloved, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, we were delivered from the bondage of sinful corruption into the liberty and freedom we have in Christ. And so what do we do? Do we give ourselves the credit? You know, do we do we pat ourselves on the back? Not in the least, beloved. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, save in the sin atoning sacrifice of the Son of God, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And we often sing that hymn, to God be the glory, great things He hath done. And so as, as we look at this psalm this morning, I pray the, the Lord will bless us in blessing His word to our hearts, the hearts that He opens, that we might give attendance, that we might be present in this moment and give our full attention to the gospel of God concerning His Son and consider and rejoice in the blessed gospel fact that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Now let's consider verse 1. Blessed be the Lord Jehovah my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Blessed be the Lord that teaches me how to war with my hands and how to fight with my fingers. And every believer can say with David, the Lord is my strength. Beloved, can you think of a time when you were trapped with no way to escape? David writes in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Beloved, He's our refuge. He's our strength. And not only does our Lord Jehovah give strength to His saints, but, beloved, He Himself is our strength. We read in Philippians 4, verse 12, this is the Apostle Paul writing here. It is God's Word. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he writes in verse 13 of Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see, beloved, Christ is our strength. And by his grace, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. For Christ is my strength. Christ is my all in and all. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the strength of our salvation, beloved. Beloved, he is the very strength and power of all things. Indeed, all our salvation. My friend, with man, salvation is impossible. And the apostle writes in Hebrews chapter 2, May God be pleased to bless his word now 
this this statement is so clear and so plain. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. No one is going to be present in heaven except through the blood and righteousness of Christ. And the apostle who wrote the, the, the Hebrews there, I believe it was Paul, Hebrews chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we be saved from our sins if we neglect so great a Savior? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a Savior? You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the strength of our salvation, beloved. And his strength, not ours, is the strength of our atonement for sin. And it's who he is, beloved, that gives infinite value to what he did. You see, his strength is the strength of our atonement. When he had by himself, don't you love those words? By himself. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty of God on high. And not only that, beloved, he's the strength of our righteousness. That's right. He is the strength of our righteousness. He's the strength of all of our righteousness. And he is our all in and all. We read in Psalm 71, verse 16. I still remember the day I heard this. <laughs> what a blessing. It says there in Psalm 71, verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. How come? Because his righteousness is the only righteousness that exists before God, beloved. He is the Lord, our righteousness. You see, beloved, we have a strong salvation. We have a strong atonement and we have a strong righteousness. And that because we have a strong and sovereign king who's mighty to save. Now notice back in Psalm 144, this word strength in verse 1 can also be rendered, he's my rock. He's my strong foundation. And beloved, he's the rock upon which we rest. He's the rock upon which we build. The Lord God saith in Isaiah 28, verse 16, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. The sinner that believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ that rests in him shall never be cast out, never be ashamed or forced to flee from him. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The Lord is our strength, beloved. He's our rock, and we have a great salvation in him, a full and complete finished salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the second part of verse 1. Blessed be the Lord which teacheth, which teacheth. Our Lord declares in John 6.45, All that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. All those who have heard and learned of the Father come to Christ. And he teaches us to war and to fight, does he not? So what is he talking about here exactly? To war and to fight? Well, he gives us these marvelous instruments you know, our hands and our fingers to make a living. And not only that, beloved, but also to war and to fight. And I take that to mean not in the way of physical violence, like punching and fighting, but rather I take that to mean to war, to fight for God's purpose and grace. 
indeed to battle for the gospel of God and to wage a good warfare and to fight the good fight of faith. David was a mighty warrior to wage war against the enemies of God. And we too, beloved, the Lord has called us to contend for the faith, has he not? And that we war and fight for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not with the physical violence, but with the word of God to stand strong and to fight and war a good warfare with the gospel of God concerning his son. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy, you can turn there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he writes to young Timothy in verse 7, Beloved Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And he had some enemies, did he not? And Paul didn't back down. Paul didn't back down. But rather, God blessed him in many, many ways. Beloved, did you know the Lord has given us some mighty weapons to wage this war? Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. The Lord's given us mighty weapons. You see, he's not left us defenseless. He's given us the sword of the Spirit for the weapons of our warfare, beloved, are not carnal but mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds. That's a reference to 2 Corinthians 10.4. And we read in Ephesians 6.11, it says there, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I don't have this uh, remark in my notes, but maybe it will be helpful for someone here this morning to understand what exactly what that means. In this world, there are men behind pulpits that are not son of God. They are wolves, and they abuse people. And they will preach and teach that someone for whom Christ died can lose their salvation. And beloved, should the word of God abide in your heart, you have a weapon so undefeated, in, in, uh, uh, in, so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> it can't be defeated. <laughs> your victory is sure every time. So when someone comes and says that lie, the word of God leaps to our heart and mind. Indeed, the very words of our dear Lord and God, Jesus Christ, they leap to our heart and mind immediately. And we know it's not so. He said these words. This is recorded for us in John chapter 10, there beginning in verse 25, I believe. He said, my sheep hear my voice. So we understand from the Lord Jesus Christ, there are sheep and there are goats. The sheep, there's a lot of them still lost in this world, and they've been everlastingly loved in the covenant of grace. And he will find all of his sheep. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I, I rest in that, beloved. He saves us, not almost saves us. He saves us to the uttermost. He saves us to the uttermost. Uh, another place he says this. You know, if someone's going on about that uh, someone for whom he died is in hell right now. That's not so. There's not one precious lamb, not one precious sheep in hell right now. How come? How do I know that for certain? 
Because he tells us plainly in John chapter 6, verse 39, he says, This is the Father's will, he who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. And so David, we see here, was a mighty warrior. And beloved, his people were mightier, mighty warriors here, as we see in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Let me just continue reading what I was reading there. It says there in Ephesians chapter 6, Put on the whole armor of God so you can fight. In Ephesians 6 verse 13, it sets forth there, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We're in a warfare, beloved, and God's given us hands, and he teaches us to war and to fight for the cause of his purpose and grace, to battle for the cause of God and truth. I'll turn back to Psalm 144 and look there in verse 2. The Lord, my goodness, the Lord, my fortress, my high tower, and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. Now that's subduing grace, beloved, conquering grace. You see, the Lord's not only our strength, but so too he is our goodness. And the Lord's not only good, but, beloved, he's goodness itself. Indeed, he's the author and provider of all goodness. Now, this word goodness can also be rendered mercy. The Lord is the God of all our mercy. Indeed, he's the God that's our mercy seat. And that's where God said, I'll meet with sinners. And where sinners will meet with me in that mercy seat. And that's Christ. That's Christ. You see, the reason for mercy is only found in the Lord. For he's the fountainhead of mercy. The Lord's our mercy seat, beloved. Remember from Lamentations chapter 3, as Jeremiah is watching the destruction of that city, he writes, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because, beloved, his compassions fail not. You see, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And Peter writes, The Lord is the God of all grace. And Paul writes, the Lord is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You see, mercy begins with him, and he's the fountainhead of all mercy. And so, the Lord is our strength, beloved. The Lord is our goodness. The Lord is our mercy. Look what it says in verse 2. Look there again. The Lord is my fortress and my high tower. Now, you know what a fortress is? It's a place of defense a place of, of security. And those cities of old were walled cities, cities with high, thick walls. And why was that? Well, it was to keep the enemy out. That's what those high walls were for, to keep the enemy out. And on those high, thick walls of the city, they had high towers to sound the alarm as the enemy approached. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, is our defense, and he's our security. Indeed, he's a wall of fire round about his people. The Lord our God is our advocate. And if anyone, and it's, it's, uh, 
it's a good thing that we're repeating these things. This is just a review of what we looked at this morning. <laughs> uh, different portion indeed. But we were looking at this verse in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. He's our defense, beloved. He's our security. And it says there, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, and we don't want to sin, but when we do sin, beloved, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, he's our defense. He's our mediator. And there's one God and one mediator between God and man. And he's our mediator advocate that ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's my fortress. He's my high tower. He's my deliverer, my shield, and my protection. And beloved, that's exactly who the Lord Jesus Christ is unto us. He's our deliverer. He's our redeemer. You see, it's in Christ that we have redemption. And it's through his blood that we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And since he's delivered us by his power, and he's delivered us from the power and guilt of sin, he will shield us from his holy justice. And because of that blessed fact, beloved, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What better shield could you have? What better defense or deliverer could you have than Christ? Beloved, the Lord is our deliverer, and he's delivered us to the uttermost. He has, he will, and shall deliver us from all harm. Now notice, David says here, The Lord is my goodness, my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, and my shield, and he is the one in whom I trust. I trust him. And beloved, it's good and right to trust the Lord, and not for some things, beloved, but rather for all things we're to trust him at all times. Remember Psalm 62? Trust him at all times, ye people. Trust him at all times, ye people. In the day of his power, we shall indeed. David writes there in Psalm 110, Well, before we look at that verse, I want you to notice the last part of this verse, verse 2. I want you to notice, David says, It's the Lord in whom I trust, the Lord who subdueth my people under me. David looked to the Lord, beloved, and he was a king over a vast empire, and he looked to the Lord, he trusted the Lord to bring rebels under his dominion. And we look to, to the same Lord that David looked unto, to conquer rebels and to grant them repentance to subdue his people under him and give them faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't try to subdue rebels. That's what goes on in false religion. I mean, they try to subdue people and force them to make a decision or get them to stop doing some things and then to start doing some other things. Do they not? Well, my friend, I'm here to tell you, God subdues his people. As David writes in Psalm 110, how that his people shall be willing in the day of his power. You see, my friend, God is able to subdue the people under him. And that's what David's saying. I trust him to subdue my people under me. And I trust the Lord to subdue his people to make them submit to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, to make us to cease from going about to establish a righteousness of our own 
and by his grace submit unto the righteousness of God in Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And then in these next two verses, David sets forth a contrast between the sovereign, holy God and what man is. Look at verse 3. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Or the son of man, or the best of the seed of man, that thou makest account of him? And we read in the expression that the son of man, we read that expression again in Psalm 146, verse 3. Now, the son of man, we could, we could render it this way, or the best of the seed of man. Uh, put not your trust in princes, nor in the son of man, or in the best among the seed of man. Remember, the Lord Jesus was born of the seed of the woman. But among the sons of Adam, those born of the seed of man, there is no help. There is no salvation. Now, you wouldn't trust yourself to save yourself. I mean, would you? A wise man wouldn't, that's for sure. Lord, what is man, again, verse 3, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. That's what our days are, are, beloved. Just a shadow, just a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it's gone. We read in Psalm 39, verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as a hand breath, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. What a contrast between Jehovah God and man. The psalmist turned from the glorious, all-sufficient God to the insignificance and nothingness of man. Man in his best state is altogether nothing. Zero. Just vanity. Indeed, as we read in Isaiah, all nations before the true and living God are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. My friend, man is, is nothing, has nothing, can do nothing, and contributes nothing unto Almighty God. And to make the point, men are counted to him less than nothing. Negative, in debt to sin and justice by nature. And so considering all that the Lord God is and what man is, we read here the miracle and mystery of the gospel in considering all that the Lord God is and how that he's sufficient, he's almighty, he's eternal. You see, my friend, he doesn't need us. We need him. And what is man that, that he would ever be mindful of us and to take knowledge of such vile maggots as we are, to take notice of such vile worms and yet choose to redeem us and die in our room instead and to make us the object of his love, the object of his grace? What a mystery. What a miracle that God would show such mercy to such as we are that he should make man the subject of election, you know, his choice, the object of redemption, the child of his love, the child of his good providence, that he would make himself known unto us through the preaching of the gospel. What a miracle of his grace. That he would make himself known through the preaching of Christ and him crucified. And we see a similar statement in Psalm 8. Turn there with me. Psalm 8. Verse 3, it says there in Psalm 8, verse 3, When I consider thy, thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, 
and the Son of Man that thou visitest him. And we'll see that statement again in Hebrews chapter 2. What is man that God would make himself known unto us? He said in Matthew chapter 11, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Oh, that he would take knowledge of us so as to choose us, so as to redeem us, so as to reveal himself to us. Is there anything in us that would cause him to love us? Is there anything in us that would cause him to love us? Would we, could we, can we merit or gain his attention or draw his favor? Not at all. Not in the least. You see, we're nothing but vanity, zeros, and less than nothing. And yet, beloved, the Lord chooses us and saves us as we are. In Psalm 144, it says there in verse 4, Man is like to vanity, and his days are as a shadow that passeth away. We read in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And the Apostle James writes, For what is your life? What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Job says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, faster than any sewing machine can sew a sem through a fabric. In Job 14, it says there, Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow, and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one as me? Oh, great is the mystery of his grace. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. What is man? What is man? Vanity, sinful, depraved, wicked and ungodly. And yet the Lord is pleased to reveal himself to such as we are. What a, what a mystery of grace. What a, what a miracle. You see, the Lord knows who we really are. The Lord knows who we really are. And yes, we think we know ourselves and others think they know us, but it's the Lord who knows who we really are. And the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And he said, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. If God would be pleased even at this moment to teach you, there's only one man that pleases the Father. It's God's well-pleasing Son. If you want to know what you are in the sight of God, I can declare the truth. But I can't put you in the light and the countenance of his well-pleasing son. I can't show you how horribly evil and wicked you are in God's sight. Only God can do that. And he does that not as an act of wrath, but an act of kindness, an act of his love. In mercy and grace, he, he grants both repentance and faith to the acknowledging of the truth. You want to hear about the, the sad, sorry truth about me and you? You don't need to turn there. You can make a note of this. I'm going to read a portion from Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This is all of us by nature. It says there, God saw that the wickedness of... Let's put your name there. Let's put your name there. God saw that the wickedness of Joseph 
Murphy. There's a lot of Joseph Murphys. Okay, I need to be real specific, don't I? Um, Joseph David Murphy. Uh, sorry, that doesn't cover it. <laughs> I need to be more specific. Um, God saw that the wickedness of Joseph David Murphy, the son of Miles and Beth Murphy, was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's why I need a Savior. You want to hear the good news? <laughs> I can't show you all the verses. There's not enough time. But let me show you one verse in John, John's Gospel, chapter 8. This is why my ardent prayer, this uh, grace beggar, this mercy beggar's prayer all the time, constantly, is, uh, Lord, let me hide myself in your Son. Let me hide myself in the in the ark of your salvation, the refuge, the cleft of the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like our brother Top Lady said in that uh, wonderful uh, hymn he penned, uh, Rock of Ages, he said, Let the water and the blood which flowed from thy wounded side be the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. That blood is so precious, beloved. It washes us truly and completely of all our sins. And his righteousness, his, his, the, the righteousness that he established on the earth as a real man has been made ours through the gospel, beloved. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and again, <laughs> we're just repeating this from this morning. It says there that our heavenly father made his well-pleasing darling son, he who knew no sin, he made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in John chapter 8, it says here in verse 29, what a contrast. <laughs> and he that sent me is, is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. How come? For I do always those things that please him. He was sent into this world by commandment of the Father to save all those he gave him in the covenant of grace. And he says this, this is the Father's will he who sent me, that of all that he has given me, all the children, all the precious sheep and all the lambs he's given me, of all those I shall lose nothing, but raise them all up at the last day. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only refuge for sinners. And if you don't know that about yourself right now, that you are a sinner, that you are wicked, that you are evil, is because you yet remain in darkness and in ignorance. May God grant that every person in this auditorium, may God be pleased to put you in the light and the countenance of God's well-pleasing Son and show you what you are before God outside of Christ. Because then I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll flee to Him. You'll flee to Him. What is man? Vanity, sinful, depraved, wicked, and ungodly. And yet the Lord is pleased to reveal himself to such as we are. Now back in that portion here. I'm just going to continue reading there. And uh, we'll pick up in uh, Psalm 144. What good news, beloved, this morning to, to hear that the Lord is pleased to save sinners such as we are. 
And now look at verse 5 down through to verse 8. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. Send thine hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Look at verse 11. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of the strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. We see David praying here for deliverance. Rid me and deliver me. Come down from the heavens, Lord, and manifest your mighty hand. Now, some believe David is praying here prophetically about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as God incarnate. And the Lord did come down from heaven and rid and delivered his people from their enemies. Indeed, we call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And beloved, we know how that in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus Christ did exactly that. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And we read in John chapter 6, our Lord declaring, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the, the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing. And he continues, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Bow the heavens, Lord, come down. And he did. He came down. And he did touch the mountains, and they did smoke, and he did rid us of our enemies. And, beloved, he did come down and deliver us from our sins as our substitute. And he endured the lightning of God's wrath for us. Cast forth thy lightning and scatter them. And the arrows of his justice were quenched in the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took the great waters of our sins spoke of in verse 7. He took the waves of God's great wrath to himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ did endure the talk of strange children, did he not? Who accused him of falsehood? Who accused him of being a liar and a devil? It was those who would not receive him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. They said he was a gluttonous man and a drunk. You see, beloved, our blessed Lord did come and he did rid us of our many sins by the sacrifice of himself. And he did deliver us from the holy justice of God when he died in our place for our sins. And as believers in this day, we do pray for his second coming. We read in the concluding verses of the Bible, the word of God. He which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. And we pray, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Rid me and deliver me from all my enemies. Look at verse 9. Psalm 144, verse 9. I will sing a new song unto thee. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, the new song of those redeemed by the blood and regenerated by the Spirit of God. I will sing the new song of the redeemed unto thee, O God. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. Verse 10, 
It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. And by the Lord's grace, we learn this new song of redemption here and now, in this time state. And we sing it here and now, and beloved, we'll sing it forever. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. To him be all the glory and honor, both now and forever. Now, we've read of that new song several times in our study. Uh, but look back in uh, Psalm 98. Psalm 98, and verse 1. It says there, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. You see, beloved, we sing the song of victory, not defeat. We don't worship a defeated, frustrated reformer. Rather, beloved, we worship God's Son, our victorious, conquering King. We read in Revelation 6, verse 2, And he went forth conquering and to conquer. You see, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's the Lord that, that's given salvation. We see that in verse 10. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings. And, beloved, that speaks about our blessed union with Christ. We read in Revelation chapter 1. Turn there with me. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says there, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're vitally joined, beloved. We're, we are united. We are made one with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it speaks of us as being kings and priests. And we sing that new song. And look, look at uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us a God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now back to the text in Psalm 144, verse 10. Psalm 144, verse 10. It is he that giveth, and salvation is a gift. Don't miss that. Salvation is a gift. It is he that giveth salvation unto his people, unto those to be made one with him, and consequently all his kings who delivereth David, his servant, from the hurtful sword. What's the hurtful sword? It's the sword of God's justice. And beloved, God's Son has delivered us and he's made us kings and priests unto our God. And we shall enjoy him forever. And so too, we shall enjoy what he has purchased for us. You see, he's given us all grace now and all glory forever. He's given us salvation. And then that word salvation, if you'll notice the marginal reference there, it's saying there, The word uh, could be faithfully rendered victory. Victory. Beloved, he's given us the victory. 
And we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, believers are living the victorious life. Now, I'm not speaking about that silly thing that false religion goes on about, you know, like living above sin or living without sin. That's not what David's speaking to here. Rather, he's speaking with regard to the victorious life we have in Christ Jesus because he's the victor, for he's the one who's won, W-O-N, won the battle. You see, we are all victorious in Christ who is our life. I mean, everybody enjoys being on the winning team, do we not? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's our victorious king, beloved, and he's won the victory, and we're victorious in him. We're victorious in him over sin, over death, over hell, and he's given us the victory because he's the sovereign, successful, victorious Savior sent of God. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ knows nothing of defeat or failure, and he does rid me. He does deliver me of all my sins. Now, in verse 12 down to verse 14, these blessings set forth here are based upon his sovereign, successful atonement. Indeed, these blessings are mentioned here are, are based upon his enthronement above. These blessings set forth are based upon his victories. And it's because of the enthronement of Christ, the victory of Christ, the absolute success of Christ, that he's now seated on the throne of God. And when he by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And he's ever living to intercede for us. And because of that blessed fact, we enjoy these abundant, never-ending blessings. Verse 12. Oh, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. Now, I want us to consider these blessings here, not in a physical or temporal way, but rather in a spiritual way. Sons and daughters. Children of the covenant of his grace were planted by the Lord, beloved. And we read in Isaiah 61 how that we're called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, sons and daughters polished by his grace and fastened upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Beloved, we have been made living stones in Christ Jesus, built upon the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And all that based upon his victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Oh, grant that our sons and daughters may, may be blessed to be your covenant children. Verse 13. That our garners may be full, affording all manner of store. Beloved, our storehouse is full, and that because of the sure victories of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself is our storehouse. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. You see, the storehouse of mercy is full. The storehouse of blessing is full. And because his victorious beloved, we're victorious in him, that our barn may be full, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and tens of ten, ten thousands in our streets. Now, who are the sheep? Well, God's people are his sheep. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 
Uh, just so you know what I'm referring to, if you've ever wondered how many people are in heaven, I'm going to read this to you again. This is all taken from the book of Revelation. This is uh, in reference to Revelation 5.11 and Revelation 7.9. Let me say that again. God's people are his sheep. Not one of them will perish. Not one. And it says this in, in Revelation. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, before you get out a calculator and try and figure out what that is, we read again uh, later on in Revelation 7, And I beheld a great multitude, which no man could number, <laughs> of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, out of. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And they say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, multitudes redeemed by the blood of Christ, born by the Spirit of God, begotten by the Word of God, a number that no one could number. Oh, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. Verse 14, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Now, the oxen here represent the preachers of the gospel, God's servants who labor in the word. Remember the verse where Paul reminds us, the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Take care of God's servants. They're laborers in the word. They're like oxen that labor and work in the word. Now, look what it says in the second part of that verse 14 that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. True, strong, faithful preaching of the Word of God will build us up in the faith, beloved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and that preaching will prevent our complaining in the streets. Beloved, strong, constant, faithful preaching, when attended to and received, will prevent our complaining in the street. We read in Psalm 142, verse 2, I poured out my complaint before him, before the Lord. I showed him my trouble. Beloved, if we do have any complaint, let us not complain in the streets. If we have any complaint, let us not complain in the streets. Let us complain unto the Lord. Let us pour out our heart unto our God. You see what he's saying there? That there be no breaking in, that there be no going out. You see, strong preaching will build up his people. Indeed, it will build us up in the faith, beloved. It won't break us down. Rather, it will build us up. Now, not in pride, not in being puffed up, but in gratitude unto the Lord. Uh, one faithful ox of old, uh, Charles Spurgeon writes, quote, These verses may, with a little accommodation, be applied to a prosperous church where the converts are growing and beautiful, the gospel stores abundant, and the spiritual increase most cheering. The, their ministers and workers are in full vigor, and the people are happy and united. And then he uh, ends with this uh, remark. 
May the Lord make it so in all our churches evermore. End quote. I pray that too. Lord, make it so in our local church here in New Canaan. Lord, bless this ministry here for Christ's sake, for his glory and the good and salvation of your people. Now, in closing, uh, let's look at verse 15, the, the last verse here of Psalm 144. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Happy is that people where the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached, where the saints of God assemble for worship, where prayer is wont to be made, and where praising and giving him all the glory and salvation. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Happy. And that word is blessed, glad. Remember how the Gentiles were made glad? And this bears repeating. I read this to you earlier. This is uh, Acts chapter 13, and I'm beginning in verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And we read in verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, when they heard of forgiveness of sins, when they heard the gospel of God concerning his son, of, of his righteousness being made theirs, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. We read in Psalm 33, verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Blessed, happy, glad. Psalm 65, verse 4, Blessed, happy, glad is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in the, thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Beloved, we're blessed in Christ Jesus. And my friend, those who are blessed in Christ Jesus the Lord, they're blessed. They're happy and they're glad. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Amen.